beautiful name it is. So if it's a beautiful name, let's say it out loud, everybody. Say it out loud. There's no other name given under heaven that can save people. That name. Say that name. There's salvation in that name. There's power in that name. There's authority in that name. Satan has to leave at that name. So today we declare the name. Last week we talked about faith. Salvation is faith. Being sure and certain, being confident, what? In this name, that he is able to save. He is all sufficient. He is the resurrection. He is the cure to death. The Holy Spirit comes by faith. The sanctifying work of God, that which makes me right with God, that which makes you right with God, is the Holy Spirit. It comes by faith. He comes by faith. The law of Moses couldn't work because why? We couldn't obey the law. We were lawbreakers. We've had three sessions from this wonderful letter from the Apostle Paul called Galatians. The first one was called No Other Gospel. The word gospel means good news, which means there's no other good news. If you, if you reject this good news, <clears throat> I'll hold it up. If you reject this good news, all you got is bad news. The second one was there's one message. Jesus came to save us from the coming darkness. There's a darkness coming. The third session was last week by faith. And today, the promise. We're just walking slowly through this book called Galatians. God promises something to those who will believe the message of Christ. God promises something to those who will believe the Word of God in this book. In this book we call the Bible. God's Word is His divine bond. It's His covenant. And I can tell you, he always keeps his word. The Bible is God's word, and it contains God's promises to all who will take him at his word and actually, and actually believe him. It's called faith, that I get a word from God, that I get a word from God. I got it from this book inside of me. I got a word from God. I believe that word from God to be authoritative. I received it as truth. It's called faith. Believers who believe in the all-sufficient work of God on the cross, revealed by the word of God, the Bible, will receive the promise. What promise? So I say all that to ask a question. What promise? So let's study together today. Let's open up this glorious Word of God today. Remember, ultimately the book of Galatians reveals the only true and ultimate freedom. I want to frame everything today with this. Ultimately, ultimately, if you take all of Galatians and melt it down, it, it reveals there's only one real freedom in life. And it's recipient, to be a recipient of this promise. 
And let me, let me tell you why I say that. How can anybody, I don't care who you are or what your situation is, how can anybody say today they are truly free when knowing, when knowing out in front of you there is a grave with your name on it? Are you free? Knowing out in front of you there's a grave and your name's on that grave. Now, what if somebody could undo the grave? Well, that's freedom. But if in front of you, if you reject this promise of the resurrection, and out in front of you is this grave, and your name's on it, the only thing that's not on it, the only thing's not on it's the date of your entry into that tomb. That song we sang earlier, and I ran out of the grave. That's why Christians celebrate. I remember growing up watching uh, probably what most of you did, the, the Christmas story, the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. And as a little kid, I remember watching that story, and, uh, and I, I hated it when that, that ghost of Christmas future came, because he's a dark-looking creature, and he had a long, crooked finger. His finger looked like it's that long. It crooked in seven directions. But all of them pointed toward that tombstone, Ebenezer Scrooge. No one will be free until you can erase your name from that tombstone. It's called the resurrection. I told you last Sunday, the resurrection of the dead cures death 100% of the time. Because if you go into that grave and you've got the resurrection, you come out of that grave. You can do away with this crooked finger. You don't have to worry about it. It's not ours. Freedom. You see, this whole plan of God to redeem the world, the nation, began with a promise. This is really important. We're, going, we're getting into some Bible study today. The whole plan of God to redeem the world began with a single promise. The Word reveals the promise. Here we go. Galatians 3.15. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example of everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham. This is foundational. God gave the promises to Abraham. Put that back up here. Put that back up here. Here we go. God gave the promises. Next verse. There we go. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. Everything begins here. God gave the promises. Everything to redeem the world began with this. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. Singular. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children. That would be plural, right? As if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. Everything begins with a promise from God to Abraham and his child. And that, of course, means Christ. God made a promise to Abraham. God gave him his word. And you've got a copy of it. Do you know that? You've got a copy of the promise God gave to Abraham. God called Abraham into an eternal and irrevocable covenant. God gave Abraham his word. God, Paul gives an example 
he uses this covenant promise as an example of an agreement, a covenant. It is put in place so that the one who puts it in place, it cannot be overturned. It's irrevocable. It is unchangeable. The agreement contains a promise. A promise given by the one who writes or originates the covenant, the agreement. So here's where we're going today. God made an agreement with Abraham. God made Abraham an irrevocable promise. And not just Abraham, but did you notice? To Abraham and Abraham's child. Abraham's seed. And I'm going to say it several times. It is specifically singular. God made a promise to Abraham and to Abraham's child or Abraham's seed. It's singular. It's not plural. Everything began with the promise, a covenant, a word from God to Abraham, a single seed. And that single genealogical seed is Christ. It is Jesus. Stay with me. Understand that Jesus... Some of you are confused already. Understand that Jesus follows Abraham by some 2,000 years. 2,000 years. And yet the promise that saves us from the grave was God's promise to Abraham through a child. And that child was Jesus. It is, un, it is irrevocable. God promised that a seed... God promised that a seed, a child, was coming from Abraham. Singular, not plural. A single child. So let's go back and look at that original irrevocable promise that was to Abraham, revealing the coming of Christ. Let's go back and look at it. So let's back up 2,000 years from the time of Paul writing this letter to the church at Galatia. Let's go back. Let's go back to Abraham. Then the Lord, Genesis 12, 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. Now notice that that descendants is plural. I will give this land. And, and as I read it today, I want you to notice there's a consistency. There's always a group of people and there's always a piece of property. They're both there. I'll give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. All the major English translations use the word descendants. Some of them say the word offspring. But the Hebrew word of that word is seed. And that word is singular. It's not plural. It's singular. The same thing happens again in Genesis 13, 15. But the actual Hebrew word in this one is also the same. It is singular. It is a seed. Let's read it. Genesis 13, 15. I'm giving all this land. Here's that land again. I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. God's making this promise to this man named Abraham about a piece of property and a people. Bear in mind, Paul's letter to the Galatians clearly reveals that promised seed to be Jesus. One more. 
The revelation of this original promise of God to Abraham and the coming Christ. In the next verse, Abraham is very old. And he's searching for a wife for Isaac so he won't marry a Canaanite woman. And the promise is revealed again. Genesis 24, 7. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised. Here it is. Solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. That word in Hebrew is the same word. It's seed. He promised to give me this land to my descendants, to my seed. He will send his angel ahead of you, and he will see to it that you will find a wife there for my son. Again, the Hebrew word is seed. It is singular, and it is not plural. Now listen, listen carefully. That does not mean that the result of the promise was not plural. That's not what it means. That's not what I'm saying. Because Abraham had many children, right? Many descendants. But the power, here's what it does mean. The power of the promise is singular. The power of the seed that's going to make all of this covenant thing work is one. One child, one person. And it's not Isaac. It's not Jacob. They're coming out of Abraham. No, it's Christ. It's singular. Paul writes his letter to the Gentile church in Galatia 2,000 years, 2,000 years. After this irrevocable promise of God to Abraham. I also want you to notice that in each of these examples, in each of these examples, did you notice something? There is land. The promise always included land and people. Can God keep his promises for that long? There's 2,000 years. There's 2,000 years between Abraham... And Christ. Can God keep his promises that long? I'll tell you this. It's been 2,000 years from Christ to now. Can God keep his promises that long? Well, let me give you a hint. His people are back in that land. What does that tell you? Can God keep his irrevocable promise to his people that he made with Abraham. I can tell you this, his people are back in that land today. They've been back in that land for 70 years. They've been back in Jerusalem for 50 years in our generation. We are now 2,000 years on the other side of the apostle Paul. And let's ask ourselves, can God keep his promise? This, This promise back to the time of Abraham, can he keep it today? With all that said, Let's read this part of Paul's Galatian letter one more time, and I'm going to put it all together. Verse 15. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the Scripture doesn't say to his children— as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. That is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. 
God would be breaking the promise. For if the inheritance, I want you to remember this word inheritance. Let's say that word out loud. Inheritance. Let's say it out loud. Inheritance. You're going to want that. For if the inheritance, that's what this promise is about. If the inheritance could have been received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Do you see it? You see, the promise, the covenant that began all this salvation thing began some 430 years before the law of Moses was put into place. So the idea that the law of Moses can make me right with God, that came 430 years after the promise. The promise is, was revealing what would make you right with God. So the inheritance, heaven... The inheritance to be a child of God in the presence of God for all eternity, the inheritance could not be based upon the law. It could not be based upon works. It could not be based upon what you did or didn't do. It would be based upon faith. The promise. It took 2,000 years for Christ to come. Think about it. The promise. God comes to Abraham and he promises this piece of land through a child. It took 2,000 years for Christ to come, but God kept his promise to Abraham. The promise. It's been 2,000 years since Christ came to die for us today, the fulfilling the promise of God that would be a single seed. Have you ever thought about this? Because I do. That if you look at the genealogical record in the Holy Scripture, there's about 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. Okay? You with me? Just count the genealogies. There's about 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. And then there's about 2,000 years from Abraham to Christ. And there's about 2,000 years from Christ to us. 2,000, 2,000, 2,000. That's 6,000 years. That's where people who say young earth, and by the way, I believe that that's the age of the earth, by the way. Yeah, because that's what the scriptures say. 6,000 years. It sounds like there's this plan. Can God keep his promises for such a long period of time? Can God do it? Abraham was 4,000 years ago for us sitting in the room today. Do we need to talk about a guy 4,000 years ago? If you want to know about the promise, you do. Why do you think Paul is preaching this particular message in Galatia that day? And why am I preaching this particular message at Nineveh today using Paul's words? Why? Does it matter? Does it mean anything to you? It's all by faith. We must believe the promises of God revealed in the Word of God to receive the promises of God. It's called faith. I'm going to say it again. Because some of you, I, I know that some of you are still struggling with this, the simplicity of faith. We must believe the promises of God found in the Word of God to receive the promises of God from God. It's called faith. The promises will be received by the plural. 
The promise, the promises will be received by the plural. Many people from many tribes and tongues and nations will believe. But the power of the promise is singular. The power of the promise is one, one name, Jesus. The promise, the promises will be received only by one, through one, Jesus Christ. That begs the next question. So why did God give the law of Moses? If everything is from Abraham and the promise, and that was 430 years before Moses and the law, you have to ask the question, why in the world did God give the law of Moses then, if that's not what was going to save us? Well, next verse, verse 19. Why then was the law given? The apostle Paul knows that question, doesn't he? So why was the law given? It was given alongside the promise. Are you hearing me? The law, it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child. The law of Moses was only supposed to last until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through the angels to Moses who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. The law was given alongside the promise. Not to replace the promise, alongside the promise. The law had a unique and specific purpose to reveal the sins of the people, to make sure that everyone knew. Everyone knew, I'm a lawbreaker. Because if you break one law, you break all the laws. The law of Moses was only going to last until Jesus came, until the promise came. 2,000 years of Jewish history, from Abraham to Jesus. Then it's all been about what? About this promise that God made to one man, Abraham. It's not about the law of Moses. Paul's trying to tell the church. I'm trying to tell the church. It's not about the law of Moses. It's not about salvation by works. You see, to them, the law of Moses was salvation, being made right with God by what I do or what I don't do. The modern church is still struggling with the idea that making me right with God is about what I do or what I don't do. It's about the promise of God about a seed that was coming. That seed is Christ. You must believe the promise of God revealed through the Word of God to receive the promise. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep saying it till I'm convinced everybody's got it. You must believe. This is where the church is struggling. I'm telling you. I'm watching it. You must believe the promise of God revealed where? On Google? Where? On CNN? You must believe the promise of God revealed through the Word of God To receive the promise of God, it's called faith. 
Do you see where this first century church was struggling? 1,500 years of Jewish law now changing into faith in the promise of God through one man. The law of Moses revealed the sin of man. The law of Moses revealed the insufficiency of man to fix himself. You can't do it. I can't do it. Nobody can do it. But the promise and the coming cross of Christ revealed the all-sufficient power of God to fulfill his promise to make us his children. And here we are today. 2,000 years on the other side of the cross, 2,000 years on the other side of the irrevocable promise of God. And I'm going to tell you, this promise still stands for those who have faith. Do you know how I know that I can say that with confidence? How can I today stand in front of you and say, this promise, 2,000 years after the time of Christ still stands? Two things, two things. I'm going to give you just two examples. Number one, I know that I know that I know that the Holy Spirit of Christ lives inside of me. So that tells me, check mark number one, the promise still stands. Number two, the Jews are back in the lane. What did he tell Abraham? I promise this land to your descendants forever. You know, they weren't there for almost 2,000 years. They're there now. In fact, when they first, in 1948, when Israel became a nation, after almost 2,000 years of absence, they counted there was like six to 700,000 Jews living in the land. Now there's 7 million of them living in Israel. That promise for us is 4,000 years ago. Can God keep his promise? So if you wonder, how can I stand here today and so confidently say, this promise is still real. He's still going to fulfill his promise. I'm watching it. I know it personally because I know the spirit of Christ lives in me. And I'm watching it in the world. What other nation can do what that nation has done unless it's part of a promise of God? The Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ is the all-sufficient power of God in our time You cannot and will not receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, by obeying the law. You cannot and you will not receive the Holy Spirit by living to be a good neighbor, by mowing your neighbor's yard when it gets too high and he's not feeling good. You will not receive the Holy Spirit by working on the site-based council at school and recycling every other week. You can't do it. There's no way to receive the Holy Spirit except by faith. See, you had an encounter with God. See, the thing about Abraham is he didn't have a mediator. God came to Abraham directly. God came to Moses directly. So people today say, well, if God would come to me directly, then, I, then I'd believe him. When you, when you have an encounter with this book, You have, whether you like it or not, you have encountered God, and you received a word from God. And if you accept that word from God as authoritative and as His word, and you believe that word, and you receive that word, and you live under the power and authority of that word, it's called faith. It's called faith. 
Everything is the promise is the result of believing the Word of God which you have encountered. It's called faith. And I'm going to tell you, that's when you receive the Holy Spirit. By faith. I've confessed the name of Christ. How did I know to confess the name of Christ? It was in God's Word. He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. What sanctified me so that I can be saved? The coming of the Holy Spirit sanctified me. How in the world did I know how to do that apart from the Word? You cannot and will not receive the Holy Spirit because you came to church. Or because you believe that God's real. That's not it. You receive the Holy Spirit by faith. By receiving, believing and receiving the promises of God that are revealed through the Word of God. And fulfilled. That God's promises have been fulfilled by the all-sufficient cross of Christ. Did you? Let's pause in the service for a moment and ask everybody a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Have you? Will you? Are you sure? I said it last week. I'll say it again. Can anybody in this room imagine that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you don't know it? The, the, the power of God, the presence of God lives inside, has moved inside of your physical body and you don't know it. Do you want to be free? Like really free? Never have to worry about that grave at the end with your name and a date on it. Because even if they put you in a box and put that box in the ground, you're coming out. You're coming out. You want to be free? There's a promise. Stay with me. There's a promise. You remember when I asked you earlier how you can be truly free when there's a deep, dark grave out in front of you? I got to take it a step further. How can anybody, how can anybody, I don't care if you're a billionaire, say that you're free if in front of you there's a dark grave, your name's on it, and the other side of that, on the other side of that grave is hell. Or maybe you say, maybe you say, well, I don't believe in hell. I don't care whether you believe in hell or not. It's real. You know, Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. So if I got a chance to believe you, because you don't believe in hell or believe Jesus because he came from heaven and told us about hell, I'm choosing Jesus because you can't save me. So how can anybody be free knowing there's a grave and there's hell unless you accept the fact that there was a promise made to free you from both? Here we go. Let's go to verse 21. Is there a conflict then between God's law the law of Moses, and God's promise. What, what God gave to Abraham and what God gave to Moses. There's 430 years between the two. Is there conflict? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying the law, right? But the Scriptures, I want you to notice, look at, where's the authority? But the Scriptures. You want authority? It's in the Scriptures. The Scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom. Okay, how do I get this freedom from the grave, from sin and death and hell? We receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. 
That's it. That's it. Do you see the absolute authority of scriptures? You know what the scriptures declare? We are all prisoners of sin. And unless somebody comes and takes off these chains, unless somebody can set me free, that grave and my name on that grave and the hell on the other side of that grave, it's mine. Unless somebody can come break those chains. How would you know about the promises of God without the scriptures? How would you know anything about anything without the scriptures? And yet I'm watching. Listen to me, church. Because it's here too. How do you know anything about the promise of God without the scriptures? How do you know about how to be made right with God without the scriptures? How do you know who Jesus is without the scriptures? How do you know what hell is without the scriptures? How do you know what heaven is without the scriptures? And yet I am watching the American church forsake the absolute authority of scriptures abandoning the only truth that can set you free from sin and death. It's happening in our generation. I'm watching it. I don't know how to make it any more clear than this. This is my best effort to reveal the power of God's promise to redeem us and set us free. No longer prisoners of sin and death. Who would turn this down? Who would turn down the idea that the grave is undone? That hell has been vanquished? Who would turn this down? Do you know the answer? Who would, turn, who would reject this promise? That God through Abraham was going to create a supernatural race of people called the children of God. It'd be supernatural because we can't do it. So it had to be him do it. Who would turn it down? You know the answer. You don't believe it. And hell will be filled with unbelievers. Let's read this one verse again. So let's do something. I'm going to ask you, do you believe this and are you sure? The scriptures declare it. Do you believe it? Here we go. I'm going to read verse 22. Galatians 3, 22. But the scriptures declare. I'm going to hold them up because I think I'll take. The scriptures declare that we are prisoners of sin. Let's stop there. You believe that? No, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good guy. What's pretty good mean? So we receive the scriptures that declare we're all prisoners of sin. But the but, so we receive God's promise of freedom from this prisoner of sin thing only by believing in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you again, who in the world would turn that down? You don't believe what the scriptures reveal. Rejecting the word of God. Listen, listen. Rejecting the word of God, what I just read, is the same thing as rejecting the promises of God revealed through that word. Do you see the absolute authority of Scripture? This book we call the Bible? And yet I, I watch people every day. I meet with people almost daily who, who want to go in and pick one verse and say, well, we're saved by grace through faith that no man would boast. But they reject the verse that follows in the next paragraph. 
As if somehow or another I can just take what I want and go in and kind of like shopping. I'll just, I like, I like two of those and one of these. Do you see the absolute authority of Scripture, this book we call the Bible? The Apostle Paul's letter is clear. The way of faith is life. The way of faith is eternal life. But you must believe the message to receive the promise. Which means you believe all of it. You can't just pick part of it. Verse 23. Before the way of faith. Before faith became the way to make us right with God. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were, kept in protect, we were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God. How? Through faith. And now the way of faith has come. And I'm going to tell you, we live in this generation. And now the way of faith has come. And we no longer need the law as our guardian. Verse 25 says is, Now the way of faith has come. And I'm going to tell you, there is no other way to be made right with God outside of believing Him. There's no other way to receive the promises of God except to receive them by faith. And they have been revealed through the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. Do you believe the Bible to be the Word of God? Do you believe the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, to be the Word of God? Because I asked that question twice because I know, I know that, that there are people in this room, they'll be here in the first service, they'll be in the second service, that are struggling with this fundamental issue of faith. Some of you say you believe in Jesus, but you just don't believe in the authority of the Bible then you must be rejecting everything I have said today. And this must be quite painful to you. You believe in Jesus, but you reject the authority of Scripture. Then, then you, must, you must reject what I'm saying today. But why? Because everything I've said today, I have read straight out of this book. I must ask you, if that's your position, what exactly do you believe about Jesus? And how do you know anything about him without the Bible? Did you make it up? Do you remember all that talk earlier about the plural and the singular? The promise was put in place by the singular. But the recipients of the promise are plural. The promise was fulfilled by the singular, the only begotten Son of God. There's only one. But I've got some really good news today. Somebody say hallelujah. Because y'all give me that look right now. I got some really good news. The recipients, those who received the promise of God by faith. The recipients, the plural. Those who received the promise of God. The promise of God by faith. I, I just got goosebumps come up on my arm. This is how good the news is. They become the children of God. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Jesus becomes your brother. From God's perspective, Jesus becomes your brother. And because he becomes your brother, 
his father becomes your father. How? 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 By faith. By faith. Whew. Somebody tell me something that's bigger than this. Who could turn this down? You could be a child of God. Verse 26. I'm just going straight through this third chapter. I'm not jumping around. I'm just going straight through it. For you are all children of God. For you, he's assuming you're a believer, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Not stepchildren, children of God. Full rights of sonship. Full rights as daughtership, if that's a word. Full rights. You're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism. Don't, don't read over it. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on the character of Christ. Like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus for now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And I'm going to tell you, that means the inheritance that God promised Abraham is yours if you're a child of God. The adoption into, God, into the family of God is not by faith in Abraham. It's not by faith in Isaac or Jacob. It is only by faith in Christ Faith in Christ opens up the covenant promises of God to you personally. You join the plural. Verse 27 brings up a sore point with me. Verse 27 brings up something I'll admit I don't understand when people respond in a certain way. Here's verse 27. I'll read it again. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on the character of Christ like putting on new clothes. Now, I'm going to tell you, I did not write that. I believe the Apostle Paul wrote that under the power of the Holy Spirit. All who have been united with Christ through baptism have put on the character of Christ like putting on new clothes. And yet, you know what I hear? Almost weekly, almost weekly, do I have to be baptized? I'm like, why are you asking me this question? Can you read? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're starting, you're aggravating me. Why? Because is this a test? Because I'm not getting it. I'm really not getting it. I, I'm not being rude. Because I've been doing this long enough, there's some things I just don't understand. Do I have to be baptism? Is, is baptism a work of the law? Baptism's like works. And if it's like works, I don't need works, so I'm not going to be baptized. Where are you getting that? So somebody says, well, I'm free from the law, and baptism is a work, so because I'm free from the law, I'm not going to be baptized. So quit talking about baptism. I actually had somebody tell me that recently. Can I say this? That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. It's dumb. Listen, I'm going to make this really clear. Baptism does not save you. 
You have never heard me stand up here and say baptism saves you. Because I have never said it because I don't believe it. Baptism doesn't save you. But you are saved by believing the promises of God revealed through the Holy Scriptures. And this Holy Scripture that I just read reveals that you should be baptized. We've been united with Christ in baptism. Baptism is putting on Christ to be clothed with Christ, to follow him into his death and his burial and resurrection. It's like taking on his righteous garment and covering my unrighteousness from God's perspective. That's baptism. And yet you think, well, why, 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 why not? We've got a hundred percent rate of not killing anybody in baptism. We haven't drowned one guy. I've been in 20 years in May. I have never drowned one guy. I had one that I held under longer than the necessary <laughs> until they bubbled quite a bit. One lady kicked my feet out from under me while I was baptizing her, and I almost drowned. <laughs> but except for those, nobody's ever died, except spiritually. I've been reading a lot recently about what's going on in Iran. I tell you, you want something exciting? Read what's going on in Iran right now. All these Muslims are converting to Christ. There's an underground church movement in Iran that just makes me want to cry. Because you know what? I see how hungry they are to be set free from the bondage of sin and death. And what makes me cry is I watch the apathetic American church. Afraid to confess Christ, who has redeemed us from the grave. While these people, these Muslims in Iran, and here's the reason I bring up this point now. In the article that I read, this Muslim guy who, who was a preacher who had baptized a bunch of people, he said this, that to a, a, a Muslim in Iran, baptism is the point of no return. Because once you're baptized publicly, you can, be a, you can be a secret Bible studier. You can be a secret believer. But once you get baptized, it's out. It's out. And once you're a Muslim in Iran and it's out, they're coming for you. They're coming for you. They're coming for you. And yet, and yet, thousands of people are being baptized in Iran. And then I, I want to cry when somebody in the American church walks up to me and says, do I have to be baptized? I don't get it. I'm not getting it. Sorry. I cannot grasp your position. I don't want to be rude. I'm not getting it. The sanctifying Holy Spirit. The sanctification of the Holy Spirit, which means, you know, it says that putting on Christ when I'm baptized, I'm putting on Christ. That's like I'm putting on Christ like a new garment. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is Christ covering me. That's, that's what's making me right with God. It is connected to baptism. On the, on the, on the day of Pentecost, the day the church age began, the Holy Spirit came. 
and it was connected to baptism. Is, listen, I'm going to make this second point really clear. Is baptism the only way to receive the Holy Spirit? No, I've never said that. Jesus breathed on them after the resurrection. They received the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus wants to come and breathe on you and give you the Holy Spirit, I say hallelujah. Apostle Peter laid his hand and prayed on some people, and they received the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to tell you, there is a promise of God. There is a promise. Are you hearing me? There is a promise of God in the Holy Scripture that connects baptism to the coming and the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Can you read? It's in here. On that day, on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter stood up full of the Holy Spirit and he preached a promise of God through the all-sufficient cross of Christ. And look at what happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter preached Christ crucified to a bunch of Jews who knew nothing except salvation by works, the law of Moses. And now he preaches the all-sufficient cross of Christ. You won't be saved, made right with God by obeying the law. You must come by faith in Christ. He preaches it. And what do they say? What do we do? So how did Peter answer? I'll tell you what, you ought to memorize what he answered. So when somebody asks you what to do, here's what he said. Repent. Each of you must repent of your sins. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness of your sins. Then... You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise doesn't come from me. This promise doesn't come from Peter. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the, are you ready for this? Gentiles. That's us. This promise. Is to you, your children, even to the Gentiles, and to all who have been called by the Lord our God. The promise, you must believe it to receive it. So let me ask you a question. Everybody, you ready? And I'll wrap this up. Did you repent? Each of you must repent and turn to God. Did you repent? I'll ask you, is there any sin in your life today that you have not repented from? And if your answer is no, then I ask you, why not? Why not? Are you in sin right now? Willful rebellion against God right now. And you know it. Why don't you repent and turn around? Your, your back's to God. Won't you, won't you just turn around and face God? Won't you just deal with it? Won't you deal with it today? Some of you say, because I don't want to. Why not? Have you been baptized? The promise, you must believe it to receive it. To receive the promise is to receive the one who made the promise. To reject the promise is to call the one that made the promise a liar. We receive the very presence of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives in the person of the Holy Spirit. Have you received the Holy Spirit? 
Will you receive the Holy Spirit? If not, why not? By faith. It's only by faith. We receive the promise of God as revealed through the Word of God. One last thing. God has given us His Word. He made a promise. And He always keeps His Word. What's at stake here anyway? Everything. There's a dark grave out in front of you. It's got your name on it. On the other side of that grave is hell. Is it still there? Have you dealt with the grave issue? How much time do you have to deal with the grave issue? See, I, I believe that the grave issue in my life has been dealt with. I have brought the grave under the authority of Christ. The resurrection belongs to me by faith in Jesus Christ. So let's just say that's you too. What do we do while we wait for the promised resurrection? What do we wait while we wait for the coming of Christ? What we have right now. What do we have right now while we wait? What we have right now is the promise. This is sufficient. What we have right now is the promise, and we know that he always keeps his word. We've got the promise. He is not going to leave you. He is not going to forsake you. If you get in a mess, he's still there. If things around you go nuts, he has not abandoned you. His promise is true. He's going to keep his word. And on the last day, whether you're standing up or whether you're in a box in the ground, he will raise you into his glory, he promised. One last scripture, verse 28. There's no longer any Jew or Gentile, slave or free, or male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the children of Abraham. You are God's heirs, and you are and God's promise to Abraham. God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. God, God's promise to Abraham belongs to me. I am a child of God. You see, I believe that if you believed you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe you'd believe in Jesus. I believe that if you believed you were lost and in front of you there's a grave and there's a hell, I believe that if you believed that you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe that you'd believe in Jesus. Salvation will be the believers. Hell will be the unbelievers. Do you believe? The mark, the mark of belief is the presence of the Holy Spirit. The mark of believers is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit, your fire would burn. Your wind would blow. For we can't do it. None of us can do it. So unless your wind blows, unless your fire burns, unless you do what only you do, we can't do it. We can only believe and call upon your name. It is your power that saves. So, Lord, save us. Use us. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. The invitation's open. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, respond to him today. Let's stand. Let's stand.